Dear Lord, we are thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your word that uh, provides us truth uh, for our lives. And uh, we depend on it and pray that your spirit uh, would move today in our hearts through your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so there's a particular passage in 1 Kings that uh, I've really been thinking on a lot lately, so uh, I chose it to preach from, and we're going to start in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 20, and we're going to go through the first uh, half or so of chapter 19. Um, to set things up, this is generations after uh, David and Solomon have been on the throne, and, and the uh, country... Uh, has split into two separate countries. So you have the northern kingdom is Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Judah especially spirals into um, worse and worse, progressively worse and worse kings uh, as time goes on. The narrative says, uh, and this king did more evil than his fathers and then the next king, and it'll say at the end of his reign, and he did more evil in the sight, you know, in the sight of God than his fathers. And we get to uh, Ahab's dad, who was the worst king ever, and then it says that Ahab did worse than he did. Uh, so we have Ahab on the throne, and it says that he didn't think it a big thing at all uh, to follow after Baal and to worship idols and to marry uh, Jezebel, who was a pagan, uh, a pagan queen from a pagan nation. And she set up even more idol worship when she uh, joined the kingdom. Um, and so what's happened is God raised up Elijah, a prophet, to speak against Ahab and Jezebel and their kingdom. And uh, God tells Elijah to show up and uh, proclaim that there's going to be no rain, uh, that God's going to stop rain uh, on the land. And this is important because Baal is the god of fertility. And so they're worshiping Baal, who's supposed to bring the rain and bring, you know, the... Uh, the baby animals in the spring and give women fertility and all this stuff. He's the God of fertility. And God says he's going to stop the rain, which is kind of Baal's calling card. And so Elijah proclaims this to Ahab and then is in hiding for three years. And there's no rain for three years. And God tells Elijah to uh, show himself up to Ahab again and, uh, and have a showdown with these prophets of Baal. So we're picking up in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. It makes sense, right? Let the best God win. This is like an ancient reality show or, or something like that. People like competition like this, you know? And uh, this drama is pretty palpable because Elijah's one guy standing up against 450 other prophets. And uh, so in verse 25, Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, uh, Choose for yourself one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, 
but put no fire to it. So they took a bull that was given to them. They prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing, or he's maybe he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. This is like one of my favorite things because there's not that many times in life where like sarcasm is really well warranted, you know. I like being sarcastic, but it's usually not like the, you know, a godly thing. But uh, Elijah knows that God wants to humiliate Baal here. And so he sarcastically says, oh, is Baal sleeping? Maybe he's like a nocturnal god who only comes out at night or something. Or, or you know, maybe like he literally says, like, maybe he's on the toilet. Like, you know, don't. You know, after dinner, dad takes his book with him, you know, and you know not to disturb. You know, maybe that's what the situation that Baal is in here, you know, and we should just wait till till Baal's ready. Uh, so he uses this sarcasm to just humiliate Baal, and it, it frustrates the prophets even more so. Verse 28, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. So this sounds like, crazy ancient pagan ritual to us, right? But um, it's actually something that's still really common uh, in our society. Um, the American Medical Association published an article uh, recently about the dramatic increase in self-harm and cutting and violence uh, among teenagers, uh, particularly. I bet if you talk to your kids that are in, in high school or in middle school, uh, they probably know uh, kids in their school that are cutting themselves and harming themselves. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but uh, the one that I want to look at today is a, uh, kind of self-hatred or self-loathing, uh, um, a low view of self, and uh, that causes you to want to punish yourself. And uh, the prophets of Baal were thinking in this way. They're thinking... If we punish ourselves enough, if we're sorry enough, um, then God's going to hear us. And isn't that a way in which we can think about God sometimes, that maybe if we were sorry enough for our sins, maybe then he'd turn to us and answer us. Um, we know, however, that our God's grace is enough and that he's not pleased uh, with us because of uh, because of how sorry we are, how much we hate ourselves or hate our sins, but he's pleased with us because of his own goodness and his own grace that he gives to us. Verse 29, And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. So he calls the people together. He repairs the altar. It was broken down. Twelve stones for the twelve tribes. Why is that? important. He's showing Israel that when you're finally sick of 
the way you've been living, when you're finally sick of Baal, when he's disappointed you for the last time, when you come to your senses like the prodigal does, as we read last week, he comes to his senses in the pig trough and remembers how merciful and good his father is, that God is waiting to repair the things that sin has broken down, put them back together in his kindness, put you back together with his love. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. I don't know how much that was. I should have looked that up. He makes a trench. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. There's no doubt everything is soaked. There's no trick to lighting wood that is saturated and soaked with water beyond drying it out. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Think of the contrast between 450 guys and all the craziness that they were doing, trying to get their God's attention. And Elijah just speaks to God in a personal relationship, because that's what we have with our God. This personal relationship. We don't have to work up uh, to get his attention. He is waiting for us to speak to him so that he can answer back. He asks God to show himself, and he does. 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord. He is God. Right? People think the Bible is boring, right? <laughs> they don't know it, right? Not read it enough, okay? It's a pretty, uh, pretty intense uh, situation here. Uh, God shows up. He consumes everything. It's entirely gone. I'm going to fast forward here for sake of time since we're doing almost two chapters. So, the people fall on their faces. Elijah takes the prophets of Baal. They're put to death. Then he says to Ahab, sounds like rain. Why don't you get on home? So Ahab takes off for home and Elijah goes up the mountain. And when he sees the, the rains coming, he takes off and runs and somehow beats uh, Ahab to the city of Jezreel where Jezebel is waiting. And uh, I don't know you know, Elijah is probably a pretty fit guy from living out in the elements for years, but it's got to be uh, a miracle that he beat a chariot uh, to Jezreel, you know? Um, so he gets to Jezreel, and like in your mind's eye, what are you thinking is going to meet him after this has happened? Like, this miracle has happened, fire has fallen from heaven, everybody there goes, this is amazing, you know, we, we want to worship God again. He comes to Jezreel. And you're thinking, okay, the people are going to be ready 
for like some triumphal entry for Elijah. They're going to turn back to God, throw out their idols. Jezebel, she's going to ask for forgiveness and, and repent. And this is not what happens. Chapter 19 starts, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, she says, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Wanted prophet Elijah, dead or alive. This was not the response he was hoping for or expecting when he got there. When Elijah was on the top of Mount Carmel and having this great victory, and when the rains came, he's thinking, this is it. This is the turn of the tide. This is the way life is always going to be, just having these victories every day, right? It's all going to be downhill from here. And Monday morning came, and it turns out he's still just a sinner. The devil still there, waiting to devour him. Can you think of a mountaintop experience that you've had in your life or in your faith? You're a week or two into a New Year's resolution or something and it's going really well and you're like, man, everything's, everything's different. You read a book that just like changes things for you. You go to a concert or a conference or, or something and you come back like, yeah, all right, okay, let's go. And then you step out the door to the next day and you just fall flat on your face, right? What happened? These mountaintop moments are not the norm for us. They're important. And we have these great times of victory or these times of real closeness with God or these times of, of personal growth, and they're wonderful. Um, but the reality is, is we're still sinners and we're still living in a broken world. And, and some days it's just tough, you know? These mountaintops are, are vital. They're important markers in our lives. We can remember back to them and we can look forward to them happening. But if we're expecting that to be every day, just this incredible victory all the time, like you might think from listening to uh, like Christian songs on the radio <laughs> that we're always walking on water or calling fire or climbing a mountain every day, that's just not the way uh, that uh, the Christian life is day to day. We're broken. And we're in a broken world. Jesus says in Matthew 5.11, it's not on the screen there, I'll read it. Um, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying that, like Elijah, we need to expect a lot more valleys and a lot more challenges and difficulties in our lives because um, God can be glorified in our sufferings just in the same way as he can in our victories. Elijah wasn't thinking this way though and it got him discouraged. In verse 4 of chapter 19, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die 
saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah is suddenly deeply depressed. He's having suicidal thoughts. He asks God, just just kill me now. How could this happen right after some great victory like that? Like, he's been challenged by Ahab. He challenges these 400 prophets, and he overcomes that and has this great victory. And then he comes back, and Elijah's, and uh, Jezebel's like, I'm going to get you. And he's like, ah, and he just runs. You know, doesn't he know? I think there are multiple reasons for why depression comes upon us. And uh, three reasons why we can see it came upon him. Um, the first one is there can be physical causes to it. Elijah's been living in fight or flight mode for over three years now, hiding from Ahab and Jezebel, living out in the elements, trying to survive a drought. His main companions have been ravens bringing him food. He's emotionally and spiritually spent from this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And then he runs how many miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel and immediately turns and runs all the way to Beersheba, which is the furthest south point in all of Israel. So he's physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. We have um, a lot of families with young kids here. And uh, have you ever felt like, as a, as a parent with a young kid, uh, that like, I don't know why this anxiety or this depression, like you just feel a heaviness, you know, and you're like, I don't know exactly why. And all of a sudden you think, maybe it's because I haven't slept for six months. <laughs> right? You know, the physical things have an effect on our emotional state. What about, uh, I know some of you have chronic pain, chronic back pain, shoulder pain or knee pain or whatever. Like, that has a big influence on your emotional life, right? The physical has a, has a direct impact on, on how we feel emotionally. Um, and it was definitely feeding into Elijah's depression. It's just it's how we're designed. Our emotions lead, uh, our physical um, circumstances can lead our emotions. Another reason, uh, another cause for his depression, it can be, there can be righteous causes for it. Elijah's mourning over the sin of the people of Israel. They've turned away from God. They're worshiping these false gods. They're just living in a horrible way. The, the worship of Baal was just so perverted and so wrong. And the whole, uh, the whole of Israel seems to be taken uh, into this idol worship. And he thought that the tide was going to turn with this battle against the prophets of Baal. And then it looks like nothing has changed when you see evil triumphing over good, um, when you see someone you love in a self-destructive lifestyle, or when someone you love is ill or hurting or passes away, that affects you, right? Is that a good? Is that an appropriate cause to grieve? Any of those things? Is that appropriate cause for sadness or heaviness? I put on this. Uh, I put on this shirt this morning. Uh, this is my nice shirt, um, and I figured I should wear it because I'm preaching. And uh, because this is my nice shirt, um, the last two times I had worn it was to uh, two funerals of both of my grandpas. 
And uh, I had left the handouts from the funerals in this pocket. And it just hit me this morning, you know. Um, it's appropriate to feel heavy, you know, in, in a situation like that. Um, my little sister uh, recently left the home and is she's living in a, 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 just a very sinful lifestyle, turned her back on our family and, and on God. And, and that's a cause for great heaviness, right? Um, so we shouldn't brush off, uh, we shouldn't brush off this type of heaviness for stuff because that's how we're designed to feel these emotions. It's part of, it's part of who God is and, and how God is too. It's how we're created in the image of God is because we have these feelings and these emotions. Um, if your heart's heavy because of, uh, the plight of, um, the plight of the poor, um, we had someone from Core Ministries a couple of weeks ago talking about how um, he goes into homes and, and people don't even have beds. Like they're just laying, kids and, and single mothers are just laying on the floor and uh, they don't have furniture and um, not enough to eat or, or take care of themselves. Like if that doesn't weigh down your heart, you know, um, I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Um so these feelings, these emotions are not to be brushed off or, or minimized or avoided. They should spur us to action. So there are physical reasons why we can feel heaviness and depression. There are spiritual uh, appropriate reasons, righteous reasons uh, to feel this way. Uh, but there are thirdly uh, unrighteous reasons why we can feel uh, this way. And uh, Elijah allowed the first two reasons, which are fine and appropriate, to uh have him spiral into an unrighteous uh, uh, depression where he despaired for his life, where he wanted to die, where he questioned God. And uh, he incorrectly thought that God's plan was all up to him. You know, he said, I ran away. I, I messed it all up. I ruined it. God, you just might as well kill me because it's all over now. Elijah was thinking just like the prophets of Baal. He was thinking that God uh, was waiting for him to do the work, that God needed something from him. He had this picture of God of like, oh man, I hope Elijah gets it right. Like, I hope Elijah's brave enough. I hope he, you know, I hope he crosses all his T's and dots all his I's because I need Elijah to get this right. But that was Elijah's problem is that he thought God needed him at all. You know, God wants a response from us because he loves us and he enjoys uh, our good works back to him. And, and But not because he needs us, not because we are so important uh, that he can't accomplish his goals without us being perfect. So I was really tough on Elijah when I first read this, like, man, how could you like give up so quickly, right? How could you forget what God's done for you. Um, in verse 5, he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked. And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Uh, so we see... 
the angel of the Lord comes to him. The first time it says, and an angel. And the second time it says, the angel of the Lord. So who is that? There's another time, there's other times in the Old Testament where we see the term the angel of the Lord. And uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 3, the angel of the Lord speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And you say, I thought God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And you're right. It says, the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And then the rest of the chapter it says, and Moses said to God, and God said to Moses, the angel of the Lord is the physical representation of God. And who's that? People that are in our Wednesday night Bible study in Colossians, you know this answer. Jesus Christ is the physical manifestation of God. And so Jesus comes to Elijah and he makes him a meal and he causes him to rest. Like, I'm ready to tear up Elijah there, aren't you? Like, you're like, what? You big dummy, you, you don't know God's got control of this, you know, and you're giving up and suicidal and all this stuff. What's God's first response to him? Come to him, feed him, cause him to rest. Um, there's a certain time every evening in my home where one by one, the kids start breaking down, like malfunctioning, Okay. And uh, it might be 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or it might be 6 p.m., uh, but there will be a time where all of a sudden just things start going haywire. And uh, at first, um, as a, a younger parent, I thought that um, I needed to explain why they were being irrational, like why you shouldn't cry because you have an orange toothbrush and you want a pink toothbrush. I thought I could explain that, and then Paisley would be like, oh, okay, Dad, you're, you, you know, you straighten that out for me. I'm not going to cry anymore. I'm, I'm happy. Now, kids reach this point where they're tired, or they're wet, or they're hungry, or something, and they're not going to behave rationally. They can't hear what you're saying to them. They can't think or reason through this, right? And we as adults, we're not that different either, <laughs> okay? Um if you're uh, if you have a friend who's hurting, you know, or is going through a difficult time, they don't need your advice right away. Uh, they need your presence. There's a reason that when uh, when uh, uh, parents uh, new parents uh, there's a reason why we bring meals to new parents uh, instead of stacks of parenting books. <laughs> I'll get the door slammed in your face really quick. Um, we bring meals and we offer to what babysit the children so that young parents can eat and sleep, which, is, which are the main things that they need to function and the main things that they're lacking. Okay? God knew that this is what Elijah needed. Okay? First of all, before he could even approach another mountain, okay? he comes to Elijah, he prepares him this meal, he allows him to sleep, allows him to eat, allows him to sleep some more. And he says, the journey is too great for you. We love to say, or we hear people say, and it's not in the Bible, that God won't give you more than you can handle. But again, that's not in the Bible because Jesus says, you can't go on a journey right now. You need to rest. You need to eat. 
This encounter gives me like more chills than the fire from heaven thing because like what a, what a picture of the tender kindness of God towards us, right? So he is so far above us and when we're acting irrationally and foolishly and kicking against him, he just scoops us up into his arms and takes care of us and wants us to just know his presence and wants us to uh, rest and be fed instead of giving us a lecture, which we can't handle at the moment. We see this in Jesus. His, you know, He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the death of a friend. Um, his heart is touched with our grief, uh, and He knows what we need. So Jesus strengthens Elijah here, um, and Elijah then goes uh, to the mountain of God, which is a 40-day journey from uh, where he was, already at the southern tip of Israel. So verse 8, And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went on the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's still dealing with some righteous and self-righteous indignation here. Verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand before the mountain of the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? We serve a very powerful, yet very personal God. He shows Elijah, just like he showed Moses, his terrifying might. But then he meets him in this tender, still, small voice. Our God is all-powerful and yet intimate and personal. So Elijah, I'm not reading the same verse, Elijah comes back with the same, the same thing. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah is he's trying to say the same thing over and over again. And again, I feel initially like being harsh with him. Like, don't you, didn't God just show you something here? You know, um, but Elijah's being, you know, like David in the Psalms. He's being honest with God about how he feels, and he doesn't understand the situation. And so he just says to God how he feels. Um, and people uh, in the Scripture that are close to God are this way. It's not that they're right more often. It's that they're more honest with God, and they realize that they have this communication. So in any relationship, communication is better than no communication, right? Right? Even bad or faulty 
communication. If you're talking, at least something is something is happening, right? So you might have some resentment building up in a relationship between you and God or between you and a person. And if you don't address it and bring out what you think is going on, nothing's going to get better. So Elijah brings out, hey, I think it's all over. It looks like things are really bad right now, and I don't know what to do. And uh, Elijah's way, way off base with this, but it starts the conversation. And God answers him then. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God sets Elijah straight. Elijah, you've been looking at this all wrong. There's going to be a king after Ahab. It's not all over. There's going to be a prophet after you. Go anoint these people. Every, with every generation, we think things have never been worse than they are right now. And that's because we don't know history very well. We often despair that whatever is going on in the church or in society or in our government, like, this is it. Like, this is the most important election since two years ago. Um, if what I want to happen doesn't happen, God's plan is lost. It must be the end times because things can't get any worse than they are right now. But God says to Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel won't last. This is not forever. One of the benefits of reading the Bible through in a year or the benefits of the way that Ryan preaches and going through books of the Bible uh, like he does is that we see the, the high points, but we also see the low points. Uh, when we went through Genesis, there were some rough uh, Sundays when you're like, man, that story was kind of boring or kind of, you know, whatever, you know, but... With those, we see that these people are more than their highlights, you know. Um, Jacob worked under a bad boss for 20 years uh, to marry Rachel. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep before God even shows up to him in the burning bush. Do you think that he, Moses, had a lot of like red letter days during those 40 years where he was chasing goats around in Saudi Arabia? We think these people are all these highlights. We think that people of God just walk on water every day and climb mountains every day and call down fire every day. But they were just like us. And they had doubts and fears and troubles just like us. And yet God comes to them and works through them um, just like he can and will through us. It's not always a spectacular thing, but sometimes we just have to get through a difficult day by leaning on him and resting in him. Sometimes we need to be like Mary and sit at his feet and rest and recharge. Rest in the fact that the journey is too great for us sometimes. But it's okay because it's not too great for him. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we thank you for everything that you do for us and, and through us. We're thankful for your truth. Um, when we look at the lives of these great people and we see them mess up or we see them despair, we see them with emotions just like us, um, should actually be an encouragement to us because of how much, uh, how much we fall on our faces sometimes. So pray that you would help us uh, to have this in our mind as we go forward. Uh, throughout the week, and, and maybe there's a difficult day, maybe there's a day that's just not a red-letter day, not a mountaintop moment, but we know that you're with us, and you're caring for us, uh, and you're enabling us through it. We pray this in your name.